night there was a cyber attack in Pyeongchang. Someone attacked the official Olympic website and took out Wi-Fi in the stadium during the opening ceremonies, which was devastating. Thousands of people had to wait until they got back to their hotels to post to Instagram. It was a real mess. <laughs> Security officials say this was the most elaborate, exquisitely coordinated cyber attack to mildly inconvenience a sporting event ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, how many people watch the Olympics? A new Harris poll finds that 63% of Americans plan to watch uh, at least some of the Winter Olympic Games. So that's quite a bit. Interesting. Um, and, and, I'd like to meet the person who says, no, not a single minute. Uh, I've known a lot of people that hate the Olympics. I can understand really? not, not watching something. I don't understand hating it. But um, How uh, on? Maybe but, they just hate life. But in this era of, you know, none of us watch the same shows where a hit show has, you know, 11 million people watching it. Um, 63% of Americans watching the Winter Olympics. That's a pretty big shared experience in the TV world. What uh, do people like the most? I was unhappy to hear this. Oh, no. Oh, no. 58% of adults say their favorite sport to watch is? Oh, no. (laughs) The figure skating. Yeah. With a capital F. Figure skating. Mm. I think that's just because they shove it down our throats. I think they forced us into it. You know, the individual stuff I can watch. I do watch it. I have watched but it. But there's... How much? Mostly just because that's what they're giving me. Yeah. In yeah. prime time over and over. Yes, Sean? Not a, not a fan of the, the axle jumps. That's a, that's a front launch landing <clears> on the <throat> opposite foot, launched off the edge, not the toe. That's an axle? That's an axle. What? You're going forward, you're launching off the edge of your blade, not the toe, All and right. you land on the opposite As, foot so, and you jump so off. So there's a Lutz. There's the camel. The camel, Michael. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, somebody can spin, and that could be a toe jump, an axle jump, or a Lutz. And me watching, I have no idea, obviously. Right. Well, they me, tell you. A well, person can tell the difference. Well, you <laughs> cannot. Yes, and here correct. comes the triple lots into a triple toe loop, and I'm like, I just saw him leap in the air twice. Uh, what's going on? How they take off? I don't, so anyway, fifty-eight percent of adults say their favorite sport to watch is figure skating, followed by here's this might be mine ski jumping at forty-nine percent. Love it. Yeah, Flying through one. the air. I got to get some of that for the kids. That one is awesome. I would pass out standing oh. atop the ski jump. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. even have no, to go. Have to, if you put a shotgun to my head, I'd say shoot me. <laughs> I would. Go ahead. Uh, you get to clean up my brains. I'm not jumping off that thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, the downhill and the ski jump are the two that would oh, kill yeah. me. But still, I'd I'd take my chances with my fingernails clawing to the side of the mountain on the downhill before I'd do that ski jump. Just go down sideways. <laughs> Scree. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> hope I don't lose grip. Uh, well, they, you they, would. <laughs> they were talking the other night about how it uh, on the uh, uh, snowboard. There's, a, there's a somebody in a luge going crazy. Oh, Ow! That, God dang it, that had to hurt. That's not what was supposed to happen. Yeah, that's not a joke either. You smash against a wall at 40 miles per hour or whatever the hell? Oh! Well, when we were watching the snowboard jumping the other day and, and rooting for other countries to fall, one guy went over backwards and hit his head really hard like I have snowboarding before. And they talked about how the uh, it had warmed up enough that the snow had melted and then frozen again. And yeah. so it was just a sheet of ice. It was like right. cement. Right. And that's I why the little, injuries were so bad. Yeah, I saw a little gal crash last night. Sn- uh, snowboard From another country? Yes. Good! No, the poor <laughs> kid was hurt. He's got darkness in his soul. Be from America! <laughs> that's a good heckle. 
That's a good, <laughs> solid heckle when right there. crashes? Yeah. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I had. Do you have more Olympic notes? Yeah, so yeah. after the popularity, after ski jumping, it's bobsledding, Robert sledding, followed by <laughs> speed skating and snowboarding, which is pretty all-encompassing because there's an awful lot of that. There you go. Yeah. I do love the speed skating. That is so impressive to me. As for sports, pe- people don't, Americans don't understand. Finishing number one was the Nordic combined. I don't, I don't oh, even know what that is. what's not to like there? Yeah. You ski, you shoot. And over half of people don't understand the skeleton. Well, it's the bones that hold you just from being a pile of goo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's an event. I've got one. Uh, yeah, it's forward luge. Why? I don't know. <laughs> is cross-country skiing on there? Uh, no, not on the list. Which the, I like. I like that, too. Well, you look at the medal count. They just showed it. And your Nordic countries excel in, in long, tedious, boring-to-watch sports. Just because they're so bored because they're not American. <laughs> So that they pass their time doing that. We're into the flashy, exciting uh, showboaty sports, yeah. which is, you know, just is what it is. Somebody says they just sent their, themselves an email. I will never get drunk again, signed me. Oh, boy. That's a good one. Well, no, but you have to say, yeah, as of uh, January 5th, I uh, promised I'd never get drunk again. No drinking. Yeah. That's just a weird thing to do. So I had one more thing I wanted to jam into this segment. Um, oh, did you know on the ski jumping, they're never more than, I can't remember how far off the ground. You're never more than like 10, 15 feet off the ground. I didn't and know I've, that. I've, or I've heard that pointed out as, because you, you, you parallel the slope of the hill. It's a question of how long you can stay in the air. It's not height. or Well, it well, is sure. height in a way. Um, but you're never that far off the ground. And I remember reading that as a kid and thinking, oh, that's not that terrifying. But now I think... You're still like 15 feet off the ground, and you're flying at, you know, I don't know what speed. I wonder what speed you are flying at that point. And the bottom where you land is a long way down. So even though there is ground there, you're not going to reach terminal velocity. You could still break everything you hold dear if you tumble (laughs) down to the sky wrong, including your your jug. I mean, your, your noggin. Break your jug. Yeah. I've done it. It's no fun. Your brain jug. Yeah. 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 So there your you go. Your brain doesn't like that a bit. There's Now we're seeing ice dancing highlights on the television. So let uh, yet another article about this. This is probably, well, we're going to talk to Liz Sly a little bit later of the uh, Washington Post about the, um, the mess in the Middle East. It, and, it's uh, messy by Middle East standards. Right. I know it's easy to tune out. But it's like crazy hairy right now. The giant all-out Sunni-Shia conflagration has begun. Well, right. And then you've got the weirdness of Israel working with Egypt and Saudi Arabia. I mean, complete changing of the, the, the map and who's, who's with who um, in, in that respect. And I've seen a couple of different people who write about this. We'll ask Liz, Liz Sly, who say, this is as thorny as it's been in decades with the whole Israel, Egypt, Iran, all that sort of stuff. In mm-hmm. decades. Yeah. In the Middle East. So we'll talk to her about that later. You remember when Iran was held in check by Iraq? Those were good times. Um, but this is actually what's driving so much of the world. The demographics of birthright. It just It's so oh, yes. huge. It drives yeah. everything. What's that quote? Politics is waves. Demographics is the tide. Makes sense. But yet another article about how our birth rate is way too low in the United States and almost all developed countries. For whatever reason, when a country 
a society, when a society gets uh, successful and people start to make a little money and have a little fun, they stop having kids. And then your society just goes away because there aren't any people anymore. Right. <laughs> and then that's just the way it works. And it's happened over and over throughout history. And it's happened in all, in all the Western world. But the United States now, you have to be at 2.1 to stay even. 2.1 births per woman mm-hmm. on average. That's right. Uh, to be able to just stay even. It, it is, used to be 2.2. But gains in, uh, in uh, natal care. Anyway. We are at 2.1 in 2007. Some of that had to do with, uh, uh, you know, uh, immigration. I think that's part of the immigration debate that they never talk about. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely 100%. You let in people from other countries where they still have children, and it helps the birth rate. also gives you just people in general. Workers, yeah, and people paying into Social Security. That's why it continues. But we are now down at, as of September of last year, 177 Lifetime births per woman, which wow. is way below the 2.1 replacement. Rate. Is that all women's in America? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we've got to import either breeders or just lots and lots of young people. Otherwise, our Social Security, our benefits pyramid scheme will collapse. And it is absolutely a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So it's it's a serious problem. The I mean, new investors, well, I born here. The new investors pay for the old investors. We're not Europe yet. We're not Italy, where the government runs ads all the time trying to convince people to have children, which is just crazy. I mean, because you shouldn't have a child because the government ran a PSA. Trust me. Well, here's my only uh, statement. Joe Getty, this date, the 13th of February, the year of our Lord, 2018. I got three kids. Look in the mirror, bitches. You want to know what the problem is, I need huh? to have point I one. did my part. I'm a good American. I need to have another tenth of a child. Right. Uh, Maybe but, two yeah. tenths, just to be safe. Yeah. So that's, that's a serious problem. We might be running government PSAs in this country to convince people to have kids. It's not working, by the way. Nobody's found a way to make that work. No country has convinced people through radio ads or whatever that they should have children. That's because the ads aren't sexy enough. Oh, yeah. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. 415-295-KFTC. The government's got to declare quarterly love days. Don't go to work today. It's a love day. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I'm making my way through this really long article. <clears throat> I hope to talk about it in depth later, and we're trying to get the guy on. Hmm. This is a guy who claims he uh, predicted the 2016 fake news crisis. His name is Aviv Avadya. He's a, a cool name. Yeah, it is. He's a tech genius, MIT graduate. Did a presentation in the San Francisco Bay Area back uh, a couple of years ago saying, look, I think all our platforms are going to be exploited. And he's got a couple of catch terms or phrases, which I often hate, right? But some of these are pretty good. Um, that we, we're, we, we are in or headed toward something he calls reality apathy. Where people just do not, the combination of you don't believe anything or you don't care whether it's true or not. Right. Well, yeah, those are closely uh, related uh, symptoms, I think, of sure. of, of, of uh, a deep, deep cynicism. And, yeah. and people often confuse skepticism with cynicism. Cynicism is like the Soviet Union. It's like Russia, where you're lied to so much. 
number one, you don't believe anything. Number two, it's too much effort to figure out what's true, so you stop caring. Right. And that's a dangerous, danger. That's a great way to subjugate people because you just beat them into submission through apathy. And this isn't and, and throwing a little fear, just a little sprinkling of fear. And what's weird, that's on purpose from, uh, and, and, and regimes have been doing that for a long time now. That's on purpose. Nobody's doing this on purpose. It's just the way things developed. And that's what he's trying to point out. The, what does he call it? The attention economy. The attention economy has brought this about. Not on purpose, really. It's just all these platforms that are built on clicks mm-hmm. and the fact that we want various stuff. We want we want to believe crazy things about crazy things. We click on it, so you get more of it. They get forwarded more, and it just grows. Right. It's not the government trying to control us. Right. And or the more time you spend somewhere, the better it is. Blah blah. blah. It's just a weakness yeah. of uh, of of human. Well, it's just a weakness of humans, I guess. Mm. But uh, I'll get into that more. We're going to try to get him on the air. It's complicated and uh, and thought provoking. But he he believes we're just at the beginning of this horror that we got to try to figure out as human beings Hmm. Um, of, as he said, it threatens to undermine a cornerstone of human discourse, the credibility of fact in real life forever. People believing you was very important. Sure. Oh yeah. You, you start saying things that are untrue regularly and it's difficult to make a way, make your way in the world. Uh, Plus, Social- you're, you're resented, you're looked down upon, you're an outcast. Yeah. Socially, economically, all kinds of different ways. Your kids won't believe you, your coworkers don't believe you. How can you operate in the world if you keep saying things that aren't true? But we've got our our biggest businesses and our biggest communication platforms are rewarded for saying things that aren't true. Hmm. Where does that go? I don't know. You know what? It occurs to me. How do I put this exactly? This is why we need a specific moral code. First of all, we need fewer websites. What have we been saying for a long time about? 17? Well, thir- I think 13 That'd or be plenty. 14. I mean, we really, if you're going to keep it tight. A sports site. A sports site, a news site. A porn site. Porn, needless to say. For people that are doing that. Probably two shopping sites. Okay. But we could probably get by with one. Right? One social media site. One. And I don't know. What maybe the we other... only need seven websites. Yeah, then. maybe one would be business, like business That'd news. That'd be plenty. There you go. That's plenty. All but, regulated by the government. But here's what we need. We need, this is why human beings need a moral code, because if you take something like the Ten Commandments or the Seven Deadly Sins, boy, God was in the listicles, it occurs to me. <laughs> and number four will shock you. <laughs> right, exactly. It what does say, Moses look like now? You won't believe it. It should have said that in the Old Testament. Right. And they lay out the Ten Commandments. And number five will shock you. You may have violated <laughs> number seven today. <laughs> So anyway, you take a moral code like that, it is timeless and can be applied to anything, including these wild new wrinkles in uh, communications and technology. Tell the truth. You know, don't hurt people. Don't kill. Don't take their stuff. Don't get with their wife or their donkey because you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's ass either. My neighbor's got a hell of a nice donkey. Boy, I look at that thing and I think, wow, if that were my donkey. I'd be so happy. I'd ride it all the time. I'd pull <laughs> stuff with him. Yep. And then I realize I've sinned and I stop. Reality apathy. That's where we're headed if we're not already there. For some of you, oh. we're already there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Look at the emails. Some of you are either so deluded, you're so unable to assess what is true and what is not true, and or you just don't care anymore that 
Uh, you know, I can think of uh, a couple of emailers in particular. Jack usually goes through the, the texts, and I usually go through the emails. But uh, we have a couple of emailers in particular who are very, very bright people, but they have fully embraced the idea that... Uh, it's funny. We're going to talk to Jason Matthews. Turns out he's a retired CIA guy and author. We we're going to talk to him today. It's going to be next Monday. But um, he talks about the CIA doing... Um, amoral, not immoral, but amoral things for a moral purpose. You do things that are, you know, are, are pretty ugly to achieve greater good and morality for mankind. And it's an interesting balancing act for the people who do it. But anyway. Be easy to slide off the rails yeah. with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we have a number of listeners who are very bright, and I'm quite certain their hearts are in the right place and they're sincere. But I can tell they have fully embraced the idea that we just got to get A&G to stay this stuff on the air because it will further the cause and the cause, you know, differs each person. But they regularly send us stuff that is crap, and I know they know it. But they've embraced the, we just need to sway minds. We can't restrict ourselves to things that are true. So that's, you know, it's more and more common. Well, as this guy points out, you know, we're not even to the technology that's going to exist in a year or two or five where where somebody can forward around a video that is 100% real looking of Hillary Clinton or Trump or Obama or whoever speaking in a room to people and saying abhorrent things. Yeah. And that video flies around and it looks completely real, but it's not. Um that technology is almost there. It's pretty good, but not perfect yet. It's going to be perfect in the blink of an eye. And then what? What was that Trump? We had Trump singing a song the other day, Sean. You remember that? Trump versus something or other. I can't remember what it was. That's the state of the technology right now. It's Trump versus talking. Oh, heads. Right, yeah. right, right. Probably ought to play that to uh, give people an example of how shockingly good the uh the technology is but the video stuff i've seen some video illustrations and right now in 2018 it's disturbing and you know what i don't know if i had not known going in that what i was watching was a fake i wonder if i would have realized it i don't know well it was that good so well so it's going to be perfect very soon and then when an audio tape like came out about trump you know on the bus with billy bush you can as a candidate just say i never said that and and people are going to believe you. It's because, fabrication. Or or uh, your people will certainly believe you. Or clinging to guns and religion. Barack Obama could have said, "I never said that." And then what are you going to do? Because it's so easy to fake stuff up, and there's so much fake stuff up out there. It's going to be a problem. Pretty sure that's where we're headed. Oh yeah, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, the Supreme Court's looking at reversing some major precedents, decisions that have stood for decades. We'll go through those minutes from now. Armstrong and Getty. Yeah, I got a list. <laughs> Do you? Right. Yeah, these are some big cases yeah. the Supreme Court's taking up. Not just gay cakes, for instance. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. On the same theme we've been on of the future we're about to all live in. Laser fishing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Am I fishing for lasers or with them? You know, fishing emails. This is laser oh. fishing. And this is, I was just reading about it. God, the world is about to become so disturbing and difficult. Hell, I thought I was going to row out onto a lake and blast a fish with a laser <laughs> beam. No kidding. <laughs> they, they, come up, they, they come up out of the water already cooked. Just grab them by the tail and eat them like a corn cob. <laughs> Damn it! That's what I thought you were talking about. Oh, oh boy. Sounds magnificent. 
Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court could be getting ready to take on a number of high court precedents. USA Today reporting the high court could be reversing a number of them in the next few months. Now, first up, the 1977 ruling allowing public employee unions to collect fees from non-members for collective bargaining. Conservative A lot just- of people have been fighting this for years. Spending been on the books for 40 years. Yep. Yeah, conservative judges have been hoping to overturn that ruling now, as you were saying, Jack, for decades. Abad versus the Detroit Board of Education. That's the name of it. Many of the justices believe it's very wrong because it forces workers to contribute to a group they may disagree with. Supporters of the ruling are arguing a reversal, though, could damage unions' ability to negotiate effectively and provide required services. So that one is up for possible reversal. Then there's the 1992 case Quill versus North Dakota, the ruling that says companies selling merchandise by catalog across state lines are exempt from collecting sales taxes, giving online retailers a competitive advantage over brick and mortar stores. That'd be a pretty big change. Yes. So that's how that's how evolution, that's how technology is also affecting some of these uh, these possible reversals. All of a sudden, hmm, wow, okay, now it's applying to online retailers. That expands things greatly. Well, it's getting sillier and sillier to differentiate between online retailers and physical retailers. Because one is the other and the other is that one. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, anyway. And another earlier high court ruling that uh, could be reversed is one that gives federal agencies very broad discretion to interpret their own decisions without... Without court interference. Chevron deference. It's when you take a U-turn and go to the gas station on the left side of the road instead of the more convenient right side. (laughs) Chevron deference. This is the one Tim the lawyer has been complaining a lot. So these regulations get, uh, you know, they get passed and you're uh, and and you get to decide all everything, all different kinds of rules that go into these regulations. Yeah, the bureaucracy gets to decide. No, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. You stay out of this, judge. Well, the court rarely overturns its previous rulings, preferring to maintain stability, but the times and the court are indeed changing. Well, and there, God, there are so many rulings that were just idiotic or, you know, perfectly defensible from an idiotic ideology point of view. Um, but anyway, I'm an outlier. America wants a dictatorship. They want a king. They want deficit spending. They want a dictatorship. Seattle-based Amazon is laying off hundreds of corporate employees. This is rare. All of a sudden, Amazon laying people off. The Seattle Times reporting the online retail giant is managing out hundreds of employees to consolidate retail operations and expand tech gadgetry. Managing out. That's what they're calling. Managing out. You know, it's funny. We were talking about Facebook the other day. That the average, what was it? The average new user of Facebook is 55. Right. Yeah. And that young people aren't going on it at all. That is a recipe for death. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what are they going to do with all those thousands and thousands and thousands of plucky youngsters that work for these gigantic tech conglomerates that go from an idea in some dweeb's head to like the second most valuable corporation on earth? in the space of a decade, then could go away pretty quickly. Just, like, completely away. Are you going to, like, have armed... uh, It's going to be like Mad Max or something? You're going to have those those Google buses converted into combat vehicles (laughs) and and tech geeks hanging off the edges with automatic weapons roaming the streets looking for food because they no longer have jobs? It could happen. Oh, boy. 
Hey, speaking of managing out and things changing and evolving, newspapers may not be around in 10 years. That prediction comes from the New York They're Times. They're still around now? And yes, yes, they are, surprisingly enough. New York Times CEO Mark Thompson telling CNBC the print version of his paper could cease production in as little as a decade due to the economics of news, the newspaper business. Said he'd love to see the print edition thrive as long as it can, but admitted but he admitted it is facing an expiration date, as are other newspapers. Yeah, the New York Times itself had a big piece on their online revenue mm-hmm. versus their print ad revenue right. and the rest of it. And the trend lines are just unmistakable. Right. And at some point, it's just not. There's no point in printing it on paper and hurling it onto people's doorsteps. <laughs> I was expl- right. yeah, what yesterday's news? Right. Not only you know, not an hour ago's news. Right. Yesterday's news. Um, I was explaining to my kids last night about how I would read comics in the newspaper every single day, and they were just blown away by this whole newspaper concept. They've seen it on cartoons. Right. right. They didn't know, like, like know that I had actually ever seen a newspaper before. And when you explained to them that they were also almost never funny, the kids were even more perplexed. (laughs) (laughs) We read them anyway because you had nothing else to do. It's hard to explain, kids. Just that chance one would be amusing was (laughs) enough. New York Times, highly successful, though, with its digital operation. The Times has become the first news organization in the world to pass the one million digital-only subscription mark. And over a billion dollars in revenue for their online. I subscribe, and I can't imagine not. The failing New York Times, please. By the way, I feel terrible. Uh Having eaten that donut. Uh Why'd you bring in donuts? You wanted us to feel terrible. Because he's the pretty one, and he wants everybody else to be fat. (laughs) But as the executive producer, Hanson, you're supposed to make us, like, you know, work better and smarter. And this doesn't make me work better and smarter. I'm, 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 I feel sick, and I got stuff oozing out of my pores. Logie and ashamed is no way to do the Armstrong and Getty show. I feel awful. All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the voice of the West. Yes, Sean? Uh, whenever you guys are prepared, I am ready to unveil the official Armstrong and Getty medal rankings count because I've been struggling on how to actually track okay. these things, whether oh, it's total medals, gold's one, yeah. I don't know, but oh, I, think yeah. I've, I think I've got it. Sean told me his, sim- his uh, system during the, uh, the commercials. Brilliant. Fantastic. We're going to talk to Liz Sly of the Washington Post about uh, everything that's going on in the Middle East. Israel bombing Iranian stuff in Syria, and it's, uh, it's quite a weekend. What's happening is it's all about to go crazy. Yeah. And then we'll get into uh, laser fishing, hmm. which uh, is what about. I hoped. <laughs> wait till you hear about this. And I'm just telling you, if somebody brings donuts into work, don't eat one. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is Armstrong and Getty. The voice of the West. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you liking that donut? Pretty good, huh? You know, in spite I, of your muling, I've dived in. So and even after I eat it, talk yes. about how awful I feel. Yes, and, and you're, your shame. Yeah. You're going to eat it. Okay. I'm enjoying it so far. I ought to keep a memoir of this donut and how much I'm enjoying it. Probably <laughs> win a Pulitzer. Uh, speaking of talented writers, there is no uh, correspondent from the Middle East we enjoy reading and talking to more than Liz Sly of the Washington Post. Um, uh, a couple of times in a row now, I've introduced her referencing her piece, 10 New Wars That Could Be Unleashed as the Result of the One Against ISIS, written in September of 2016. Ms. Sly joins us now uh, with a new and harrowing description of the chaos 
of what used to be Syria. Liz Sly, welcome. How are you? Hello, how are you? Thank you for those nice words. Oh, well, they're, they're sincerely meant. The second paragraph of your piece is astounding, if you don't mind my reading it. Under skies crowded by the warplanes of half a dozen countries, an assortment of factions backed by rival powers are battling one another in a dizzying array of combinations. Um, and you mentioned that there will be allies on one front, but on another front of the war, they're opposing each other. Yes, it, that's right. It boggles the mind. Yes, it's really, really complicated. And um, to really explain all of this, I would need like a whole book and nobody would read it because it would get so complicated. Well, and it would probably be out of date, you know, the moment it was published as the situation changes so rapidly. Help us understand, for instance, with the example of the U.S., Russia, Turkey, the Kurds, uh, what is an alliance at this point? Well, yes, everybody's scrambling to get the, a, a little foothold in Syria to shape the outcome of, of, of the future. Um, it's clear that Assad has prevailed um, over the rebellion, at least for now. Um, the rebels can't topple him in Damascus, but there are corners of the country he hasn't controlled yet. And basically, everybody's trying to pile in to get some influence over one or other of those corners so that they can um, influence the eventual peace settlement that people think will will happen, but I don't think there's going to be any settlement at all. And meanwhile, what you have as a result of Assad having um, prevailed over the majority of the territory of the country is a vastly expanded Iranian presence, and that has alarmed Israel, which views Iran as a mortal enemy. So they're starting to pile in now, and we saw the clash that happened over the weekend in which an Israeli jet was shot down. And also you had, um, you now have a Trump administration in office, which takes a much more hawkish view towards Iran. Um, and that administration is, is in the pos- position where with the defeat of the Islamic State, American troops are with their Kurdish allies in the desert in the east. And they sort of got a front line with the Syrian regime and their Iranians and their Iranian allies, which includes militias and supporters and everything else. They're all out there in the desert, all mixed up. And they're starting to clash with, with one another out there. So Israel has a plane shot down over the weekend. They retaliate against various positions that uh, made Iran howl. How big a deal is that? Um, it, it's a big deal because Israel hasn't had a plane shot down since 1982. And um, some people are hailing it as the beginning of the end of the balance of power in the Middle East, in which Israel had air supremacy over all of its Arab neighbors. Um, I don't know if we could go so far as to say that, but certainly um, Israel is in a bit of a corner as far as the defenses ranged um, or the um, potentially attacking forces ranged against it in Syria are uh, now because you've got Russian missiles there, you've got Iranian missiles there now, and you've also got Lebanon where Hezbollah has loaded missiles. And so Israel's actually facing quite an awesome array of, um, of firepower now. Meanwhile, they're banding together with Egypt and the Gulf states and a surprising alliance. Why, Liz, I'm, I'm, I've not been to Syria, but I've seen plenty of footage of it. Why does everybody care so much? It is a, uh, forgive me, godforsaken desert. Well, it's not totally a desert. You've got it, part of it's on the Mediterranean. There's mountains and, and, and forests, and half of it is in the desert adjoining Iraq. Um, it's in an incredibly strategic location. The Obama administration used to say that Syria wasn't of strategic interest to the United States. I think that's been disproved wrong by all the things that have happened. Why have we got troops in Syria if it's not a strategic advantage? Well, because ISIS came up there. 
um, which means that it was a country of concern to the United States, leaving a vacuum there, um, allowing the civil war to rage on um, with nobody in control of big areas, enabled ISIS to take over territory there. It had joined Turkey. Um, the Kurds are there. The U.S. has gone in with the alliance of Kurds. Now you've got a crisis in NATO because the U.S. and Turkey aren't getting along. So that's a strategic interest. It joins Israel. We've got Israel freaking out by the amount of um, Iranian presence that's there. They've got Iran on their doorstep now. So if Israel is an ally of the United States, then Syria is a strategic interest to the United States. It borders Jordan, which is probably America's closest Arab ally, oldest and closest Arab ally. Jordan has sort of kept out of the fray quite well, but it's sort of quaking under all the different things that are going on on across its border because this could be destabilizing for Jordan as well. And Lebanon and America has a long-standing interest in Lebanon, which could also, which could also blow sky high as a result of this. Although, of course, I'd forget, I'm forgetting Iraq, and nobody can say that Iraq isn't of strategic interest to the United States because the United States has poured masses of money and lost many lives in Iraq, and the stability of Iraq remains a matter of strategic concern to the United States. So Syria is bordering all the countries that matter to the United States. Therefore, it must matter too. While these things are always so complicated, I mean, how does the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand lead to World War One? I? I mean, right. it's just it's it's incredible. Um, uh, so my question would be: Is it actually worse today? The Middle East has been a mess my entire life. Is it worse today than it's been a while? I think it's very, very dangerous today. Um, we could have an Archduke Ferdinand moment, as you mentioned there. Um, you've got so many parties competing against each other. I don't know that America has the diplomats in, in place to keep track of all the different rivalries and feuds that are going on in which they have a stake. Um, Turkey is of a huge concern at the moment. Are they putting all their resources into that and neglecting the concerns with Iran and Israel? There isn't a lot of diplomacy taking place. Everybody, nobody knows whose side anybody's on. And what you have is you have new weapons now as well. You have missiles that can target everybody else's country. Iran can reach Israel with missiles. Um, Hezbollah can reach Israel from far, far beyond where it hit Israel the last time there was a war. So, yeah, I think we're in a really, really dangerous moment. Well, how many pokes will Bibi Netanyahu take to, say, Tel Aviv before he unleashes the big one? You know, sends a nuke Iran's way, or at least some sort of massive attack that might as well be nuclear. It it could happen. Yes, I think the concern is that um, we've reached a point where the balance of power is very finely spread between um, Israel and the Iranian Hezbollah axis on the other side of the border from them. And there are some in Israel who would argue we should take them out now because they'll only get stronger and if we leave it much longer, it will be too late. Uh, and there are others that say, no, um, the price Israel would have to pay is too enormous for that. Liz Sly, Washington Post, Beirut bureau chief. Sorry, Liz, to interrupt a bit of a delay there. Um, but we appreciate the time and the report very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. So the idea that Israel would put up with that changing balance in power to the point where they were equal or maybe a little behind, pardon me, is an effing fantasy. No, because they, they no dis- way they disappear from the planet. Right, I mean, exactly. It's, it's an actual existential threat for them. Right. 
right. uh, their existence is on the line, which yeah. isn't the case, you know, generally for uh, for most other countries. Um, I think we're on the verge of a gigantic war. And, you know, it's, yeah. and We, we humanity, the, the role the United States plays, who knows? Well, right. I was going to say, for better or worse, and I honestly mean that, because I have no idea if it's for, for better or for worse, we have a president currently that says, let's stay out of it. It's none of our business. What's our interest? Um, if you got if you got planes from six different countries flying around in uh, Syria, why don't you just let them figure it out? We'll deal with it some other time. We're fighting with the Turks over here and literally against them over there. What the hell? On the other hand, you could look at it, if all those other countries are fighting for it so bad, it must be important. Does that make <laughs> any sense? Y- yes. It doesn't look great as a foreign policy, but yeah, I see your point. Man, what a mess. Damn sand countries. Huh? What is laser fishing? Going to continue the theme of uh, the troubles of the modern world of communication. Oh, great. Watch out for this. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.